They find their way back to this place caught in a most most of us. Hey everyone, welcome back to Reclaiming the Bible Belt podcast. My name is Joseph Dockery. Last time we kicked off everything by unpacking the vision and mission behind the podcast, and then we concluded our time by introducing our first overview theme, the phrase, I believe in. Now first, we'd like to take just a second and thank everyone for such a successful first episode. We had over 60 listeners on the first episode, and we're very humbled to have you tagging along with us. In today's episode, I'll be joined again with Philip, and we will look back on the ground that was set last time and begin to zoom in on one of the topics presented in our overview discussion, I believe in God. We'll begin by addressing the cultural practice of inserting our own version of God into our beliefs. If this perception of God that you have is a being that agrees completely with how you are wired, with your beliefs, your convictions on right and wrong, and you guys never like stumble upon each other or butt heads, there's a very good indicator that that might mean that you're just imprinting yourself to a deified reality. Then we discuss the difference in the cultural understanding behind the concept of the word God in today's setting versus in a biblical setting. For the Lord your God is God of all gods and Lord of all lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. That's great. A good descriptor. God of all Incredible. gods. Incredible, yeah. Because it's acknowledging that there are other spiritual there beings. There are other Elohim. But this spiritual being is the Mac Daddy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the leader and the ruler of all other spiritual beings. Right. And then we wrap up with discussing important elements behind saying, I believe in the God of the Bible. The historical narrative, the written and oral traditions, uh, what we would call the Bible. We get to know God through that, by reading. If you say you know me, what do you base that off of? Based, based on our personal history with each other. Yeah, like how you've seen me act with you, act with other people, things I've done, things I've said, and that's what a story does. Yeah. We believe one of the greatest threats to the reach of Christianity isn't those who don't believe in Christ, it's those who think that they do. Join us in building the kingdom of God where Christ is known but not yet followed. Well, before we get started today, I figured it might be appropriate to help listeners get to know us a little bit better than we did last time. It kind of dawned on on me when I was listening through the last episode that we just kind of said our names and Left it at that. We kept going. So um, Philip is uh, joining with me again today. And uh, Philip, tell the world about yourself. What are your passions regarding the study of Scripture, discussing the deeper things surrounding our faith, and how, do all, how does that background for you collide with the mission of what we have going on here at Reclaiming the Bible Belt? Yeah, great question. Um, it really goes back to my childhood. Um, I grew up in a church. My, my parents were Christians. They took me and my siblings to church every Sunday, and um, I mean, I had a strong faith family. Um, so we would go every Sunday. I would hear the sermons. I would go to Sunday school and answer the questions that my Sunday school teachers had about the Bible, uh, and, and I learned a lot. But it wasn't until a certain point that I really began to love the Word uh, in my heart, and that was when my pastor's son started to mentor me and my brother. He reached out to us, and he was like, hey, I want to meet with you guys every week and go through Scripture and, and just help you love the Word more. And he bought me my first study Bible. Uh, I remember it, it was a MacArthur study Bible, NASB. And uh, so he gave that to me, and that was the turning point for me where I began to love the Word and love reading it and studying it and understanding it more so than just kind of getting the answers to the Sunday school questions so that I could say, hey, yeah, I know the answer, and, and raise my hand and get a little lollipop or whatever, you know? Right. So um, that was that was when it began, and then from there, just from that, that point until now, I have just loved the Word, and it really is, um, it really is, as the psalmist says, that the Word is, is my delight, and, mm-hmm. and I, I love to savor it. And 
and spend time in it mm-hmm. and uh, and just feel like it brings me closer to God. And so that passion for God's Word kind of helps me to um, have a passion of explaining it to people who, who don't have that same drive and that same passion, um, both to unbelievers and believers, you know, people who are in churches who who may not go as deep into the Word uh, as some of their counterparts, and, and that's fine. I mean, we're, we're all at different places in our walks with the Lord and in our faith journeys. Uh, but so I, one of my great passions is helping people understand what the Word really says right. and how to read it for yourself and how, how, to, how to love it for yourself, just like my pastor's son helped me to do when I was a, a kid. Right. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, similar for me, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian family and, and knew the answers to things. Um, part of my story was being a part of a Bible study group starting in uh, eighth grade and all the way till graduating high school with a couple of guys. And um, from that, I really developed a sense of value and love for discipleship, and I saw how important it was. Out of that, I went into college first as a music major um, to uh, kind of pursue that into worship ministry. It was kind of my uh, entry into ministry was, was leading worship. Um, but as soon as I started diving into some of the Bible classes that I had to take at the Bible school I was going to, I realized, man, I love this. And um, it kind of paired with my desire and um, the value I placed on discipleship because I began to love taking what I would learn, and not just for the sake of knowing something, but taking what I would learn and being able to teach it to someone else and see really like their eyes light up and then connect the dots to not just knowing something that they didn't know, but seeing how it played into their faith walk and and seeing it produce results, produce fruit, produce um, a, a spiritual awareness. And so I ended up getting a double major with biblical theology, and now I'm pursuing a master's level um, seminary degree, and I'm loving every step of it. I, I just I enjoy learning the things, everything surrounding Scripture for the sake of being able to hopefully point people towards the abundant life of experiencing and following the one true God shown to us in Jesus. So I think that, you know, the New Testament sets grounds for that, for people who have the gift of teaching. And uh, I mean, not to presume that, but uh, I've experienced people who are incredible teachers and and they've impacted my life and I want to be a part of that as well. So definitely is kind of the background for me there. So here we go. Last week, we introduced our first overview theme, I Believe In. So really quick, just a reminder, our overview themes are things that um, really kind of address either a cliche or a common bit of knowledge, whether true or untrue or misguided, when it having relation to um, the Bible Belt cultural Christianity. And so this phrase, I believe in, is something that we wanted to start on. And last week we talked about a lot of different things that get gets inserted into that phrase. The first one being, I believe in God. And we had a lot of good kind of preliminary things pop up there. And we quickly realized that even just in this topic of I believe in God, there is a lot of baggage that comes with that term. And as we said last week, didn't we, Philip, that we opened lots of cans of worms. Not piles of worms. I did say piles of worms, and that's not a thing. Yeah, there's a. I mean, there's a lot of things that come with this to the point where we could really endlessly discuss, uh, I mean, endlessly discuss the points, the finer points of this, and it will lead us down other trails that would lead us down other trails. So, you know, if we if we went down that way, the episode would be, I mean, several days long. Several and days. There's, there's no way that we could fit it all in, so we got we to gotta break it up and make them into little bite-sized pieces that we can <laughs> chew on and digest. So. so, yeah, so with that in mind, one of the things we talked about regarding this phrase, I believe in God, a quote that came to my mind last week was a quote by Tim Keller, and he said this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. So in other words, that's saying, 
if this perception of God that you have is a being that agrees completely with how you are wired, what your beliefs, your convictions on right and wrong, and you guys never like stumble upon each other or butt heads, there's a very good indicator that that might mean that you're just imprinting yourself to a deified reality. So let's talk about that quote just a little bit. Um, what do you think? Uh, what comes with that idea, Philip? What are some um, ways that you see this play out in our Bible Belt culture? Uh, the, well, and with that, what are the most common characteristics maybe that get planted on God, just because it's how people feel? Yeah, yeah. That aren't necessarily biblical. Uh, well, in the Bible Belt, like. Christianity, a lot of times, is comfortable, um, and I think that is what this quote is talking about. If, if Christianity is always, only, ever comfortable and easy and um, just kind of the nice lifestyle, then it, you may not be doing it right. Um, and what I mean by that is if you're never encountering discomfort or you're never, um, I, I guess, taking a hit because you're properly sharing the gospel, uh, because the gospel opposes the world. It, yeah. it, that's just what it does. It's the nature of it. it. It opposes the world, because as we know, the cursed, fallen world is not holy, is not righteous. And so true Christianity, true uh, um, being in Christ, has to oppose that. Yeah. And so at some point along the way, you're going to run into resistance yep. unless... Unless your Christianity is just kind of the um, just the comfortable television right. family version of, of whatever. Yep, I agree. I think another way the term that we use to describe it is legalism, as far as inside the church is concerned. Right. Where this idea of this is this is a standard that we are holding over ourselves with quote unquote divine authority. But it doesn't necessarily reflect God's heart. It, it may not be, yeah. And so we see that. What about outside of Bible Belt culture? How do you see what what typically gets Im, imprinted on this concept of God that people um, are just kind of deifying from themselves? You mean outside the region of the Bible Belt? Or yeah, like you, maybe even outside of the faith. Yeah, outside, outside of the faith, faith as well. Yeah, gotcha. Um, I don't. I think there's. Couple, couple of sides to this, like people who live in the Bible Belt who aren't believers see how people who are, who are believers in the Bible Belt represent God, and that kind of becomes the image of God to these unbelievers. You know, like you're seeing people who claim to follow God represent Him in a certain way, and so to you that's, that's who that God becomes, which I think is a, a lot of times where people are um, just, they're like, well, I do not want to worship that God. Because yeah. the people uh, who would, represent him are... I wouldn't worship a God that does this. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, that, can, that can even become a little bit further, you know, I don't know if I would include this in the church or not, but you, you start stumbling across people who say, you know, maybe do know their Bible somewhat, but say, I don't, my God wouldn't do that. Yeah, and we hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from people who claim to be believers and non-believers, like, you know, people who do claim to be believers, we'll hear the phrase, you know, my God wouldn't um, right. wipe people out, or my God wouldn't allow this sickness or this thing. Right. And then people who are not believers will and frequently say, I will not worship a God right. who does this or that, or doesn't do this or that, or right. these things. And really, usually when you get to the bottom uh, of a person that maybe says, yes, I'm a Christian, you... you this is not supposed to come across judgmental in any way, but you typically see that that's that just culturally have attached that to themselves. They don't actually know what they mean when they say "I follow Jesus," yeah. um, but they have an imprint. They've imprinted a form of God and tied it to their cultural upbringing. Say, "I'm a Christian. I believe in God, and here's what my God looks like." Yeah. So I think that that's um, something that we see. Um, okay, so let's 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 develop this a little bit more. Um, just to share a quick story about this, I had the opportunity to, um, honestly, he's become a good friend of mine, even though I don't get to see him as much. Um, I'll, I'll leave his name just anonymous for the, the sake of this story. Um, 
but I'm, I'm sure, honestly, he would, he'd probably love to come hang out with us and talk sometime, but met a friend, um, at a coffee shop and we got to talking and he was a person that, uh, was a spiritual person, but quickly recognized that, um, you know, he was definitely not a Christian. He didn't affirm anything Christian. He takes, he, um, identifies within the LGBTQ community and, uh, he, he identified at the time saying, calling himself gender fluid. And so that was the camp that he came from. And we had a great conversation. Uh, I tried my best just to let him talk and let him flesh out what he believes. And, um, as lovingly as I can just take part in a conversation that wasn't meant to be, uh, you know, militaristic, violent, um, like shoving what I have to say down his throat. And honestly, after the first conversation, we walked away and I, I didn't say very much, but we ran into each other again and he, Wanted to continue continue talking. Wanted to know what I had to say, and so probably because you listened exactly. You, you had your ears open, and he was like, "Okay, this guy wants to hear what I have to say, and he wants to consider it, and so I'll hear what he has." Exactly. To say. We talked a little bit about that at the end of last episode. Yeah. Um, just the idea of this is how we spread the kingdom. It's not. It's never won by winning a debate. Right. You know. Anyway, um, well, the second conversation, I kind of led off with that Tim Keller quote was just asking him, hey, you know, you're spiritual, you believe in a deity, um, and maybe perhaps some grounds for morality. Have you ever considered that the fact that your God doesn't ever disagree with you? Um, does, does that maybe shed any light on uh, the fact that you might just be imprinting your own God. And honestly, like my conversation with him, that was a big turning point in our conversation. And I'm so, so like happy to say, uh, I haven't been able to talk to him in a couple months, but the last time I did, uh, he still doesn't profess Christianity, but he's been attending a church. Mm. And uh, so it's just cool to see that. And I think that's why I think this is an important conversation to talk about is pointing out that man, we just so loosely approach the whole idea and concept of God. Mm. So, um, And with that comes the idea of truth, um, the importance of truth. So let's talk about it. What, uh, what are ways that you see the importance or the lack thereof of truth kind of in our churches today um, kind of playing out, fleshing itself out? Um, are there red flags that you start to see within the biblical or the Bible Belt area where you can kind of start to say, this church is more so grounded in their cultural understanding of what is right and wrong and what is true versus actually like seeking and having an attitude of constantly looking and searching for biblical truth? Um, have you seen that played out in any way? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The idea of truth, a lot of times people will stand on this foundation of truth, but it's sometimes it's a foundation they've set up themselves rather than necessarily being a, a biblical idea. Uh, like a lot of times in, in some churches you'll hear like, uh, God helps those who help themselves or, or just, you know, phrases like that that aren't biblical but sound biblical. Right. Um, ideas that kind of permeate the church and 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 through the years and the decades get to a point where it's just an accepted truth mm. or an accepted uh, ideology that becomes a truth for that church where maybe it didn't have truthful origins or didn't have certainly biblical origins um but truth is a is a big deal uh to the church globally Certainly, because truth is is the foundation of what we all stand on, and and you know we have to be able to say as a, a faith that you know this is right and this is wrong, mm. um, and the uh, kind of the the pushback we get in the modern day is the idea of seeking your own truth. Right. You know that truth isn't absolute. Absolutely. Is that you? <laughs> Sorry, that was a terrible joke. <laughs> uh, Lord, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, really, that, that you're you're choosing your own truth, and you're kind of whatever is true for you is true for you, mm. but may not be true for me. And logically, it, it doesn't hold up, you know? Yeah. There can't be... Um, there can't be several absolutes that are different from <coughs> what is absolute. You know? Right. No, you're right. And I think that that becomes this idea of, you know, truth not being absolute. 
is really what Romans 1 is talking about yeah. when it talks about us suppressing the knowledge of God, suppressing the knowledge of the truth. Um, we don't want there to be absolute truth because eventually when you get down to it, that means that something might be true that I don't want to be true. And that comes to the to, back to the quote of, if your God never disagrees with you, then you may just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. That This whole topic of truth deals with that in, in that, you know, there are times in my life, and Joe, I'm sure in your life, and everybody who's listening where um, if, you've confront, if you've been confronted with truth, you either have to uh, submit to it and say, I, I'm wrong, um, or you just keep lying to yeah. yourself, you know? There's a, I had the opportunity to preach through the book of Revelation a couple weeks ago, and there's a perfect example of that with one of the churches that's addressed in the opening letter that uh, Jesus challenges. There's a church that Jesus starts off by commending. He says, you guys are faithful, you have perseverance, you're loving people, you're serving people, and you're, you're doing a better job now than you used to do at those things but I have this against you. And then just like bombshell, these people are, have like a cult of sexual immorality going on inside of their church. And so I think we've developed this person or this idea or this belief that if we're being spiritual people um, and like I'm worshiping and I, I love God with all of my heart, that I'm somehow immune to truth, like to being in falsehood. To being fallible, yeah. To be, yeah. yeah, to being fallible, yeah. absolutely. Um, but Jesus teaches us that we are to worship in spirit and truth, right? And it's a scary thing to think about that I'm possibly directing my emotions, my affections, my allegiance to something that's flawed. Yeah. But that shouldn't scare us. That should just because there's grace. Right. Where the the grace of God is there for that, and that's why we're called to know Him more on a day by day basis to get to know. The, the real God, not our own imprinted version. So the second major thing that came up in discussing the phrase, I believe in God, in our overview discussion was understanding that there is so much parody surrounding that word, this concept of God, both outside and inside of the Bible Belt in the world today. And even more so, we have to understand that the word God is and always has been a title, not a name. So has that ever dawned on you, Philip, as you pray or teach Scripture, both, you know, if, you know maybe praying publicly teaching through Scripture publicly, or just praying um, in private, has it ever just kind of dawned on you that you are using a title more often than not as you refer or talk to the God of the Bible? Yes, um, it, it has. And I even in my own life, though, now, uh, when I say, Dear God, like I know who I'm talking about, and I know who I'm talking to. Um, but even still, I'll, I'll say, Dear God, I pray for this, this, and this, and uh, and all that. And still use God as a name, you know, yeah, as a name. E- even me, like I understand that that God is a, a title and not a name, you know. But it has kind. Of, I mean, the word God has become a name. It's like become in, a name in the Bible Belt, like yep, of which I am a part of. I'm a part of. Like I live in the Bible Belt, you yeah. know. It's and almost it's, like saying it's. We use it like the word boss. Yes. Hey boss. Hey boss. Yeah. Yeah. Or. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing else to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> the word boss. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in my so in my private life, I typically will say, "Dear God, I love you. I, you know, we we worship you and we pray for these things, and and may your glory be known." And and I know who I'm talking to. My wife knows who I'm talking to when we pray together. She knows. You know, we worship the same God. She knows who we're talking about, and people in my church know who we're talking about. Perhaps. Yeah, you know, we, we don't want to assume that. So that's why it's important that we always are talking about who we worship and who He is, rather than just assuming that people know. Right. Which is the whole point of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. In, in, anyway, um, but specifically, there's an example I can think of where uh, I was dealing um, with 
ministry uh, in uh, a place in Georgia that's super multicultural. There are people from literally from all over the world uh, living in this in this area who do not worship who you and I, Joseph, would would say is the one true God, but they call their God God. So right. that's where it gets confusing. Absolutely. And so when you're interfacing with people like that, who you who you don't have an intimate relationship with, like me and you, Joe, we we could sit down and have a conversation, and if we say the word God, you, we know and, what you and I about. have an understanding of who we're talking about. But you can't assume that. And so in dealing with um, these people from different cultures, uh, specifically what comes to my mind is is when I was talking to a family from India, and they are of the Hindu faith, and there are many gods, mm-hmm. many, many, many gods, millions uh, that they worship uh, for different purposes. And so you, you can't you can't just say God. You can't just say right. the title God because for them that could be any number of beings. And so it's very important, especially if um, if you're ever given the opportunity to pray with and for uh, uh, someone from the Hindu faith or, or, or really many faiths. Um, it's important to, in your prayer, say, mm. in the name of Jesus, we mm. pray in Jesus' name, and use Jesus as the as the kind of the calling card of, right. of, of who you're praying to. Because like we said in the overview uh, discussion, like you get a little bit more specific when you're saying Jesus. Right, right. Yeah. And so, but say, using phrases like, um, uh, dear God, creator of the universe, Maker of all mankind, right. ruler of our hearts, and things like this, like using scriptural ideas of the one true God right. to describe Him, even in your prayers, for the benefit of the people you're Absolutely. praying with, yep. because it, it kind of separates who you're talking to from one of their, you know, everyday Absolutely. household gods. Yeah, you know? man, that's a good that's a good word. We're actually we'll dive. So hold on to that experience and that story. We might dive back into it here in a little bit, um, kind of as we close. With this idea of this concept of God and and just not being on level playing ground as much as we think, it can get a little heavy. It's a concept that for some people, their head starts to go, wait a minute, like this is, I haven't heard any of this before. You're disturbing my peace. Right. And so... We're going to discuss a couple of those things right here with this idea of, of gaining an understanding of the concept of when we say God outside of, of our cozy little Bible Belt culture, and uh, because you're not always going to be having a conversation with, a, with someone who's on the same understanding as you, as you've clearly already pointed out, Philip. Um, if you want to reach some for, someone for Christ, here's the challenge I would say to someone who maybe is kind of, maybe you're hearing this and going... Yeah, but it shouldn't be that complicated. Yeah. And just can maybe disregard this a little bit. If you're saying that, you may live in the Bible belt. You might live in the Bible Truly. belt. Truly. And don't and and hear me hear my heart. I was there. Like it, I'm not coming from a Well, we even still are there. I mean, absolutely. To, to an extent, like you and I both will still sometimes make generalities. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're not always on the ball right. as as we should be. But right. so that's what we're saying. We're not we're not poking at anybody Mm-mm. and saying, "Hey, Shame on you for, for thinking and acting this way, but we're saying we got to be aware of it. Right. So here are just a, we're going to talk through in the same idea just a couple of ideas that uh, are biblical um, and that maybe shift our paradigm a little bit when it comes to understanding this idea of God, um, how Jesus and the apostles, the first century church. Or um, and how Israel, ancient Israelites viewed this idea of God, it, it's going to be helpful. It's going to challenge us so that when we enter into a conversation with somebody who's not on equal playing ground, we don't have this overly like uh, this just unhealthy expectation of oh well you need to be on the same turf as me before we can have this conversation. Go learn biblical worldview of God before I can tell you about Jesus. No, that's an absurd expectation. Jesus himself didn't act that way. No, Paul didn't act that way. No, 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 no nobody did. No, none of none of our <laughs> biblical examples did. So here's a couple things. Um, maybe just to it, it honestly may rock your world a little bit because it's just things we don't learn in our Sunday school class, but it's helpful. Um, there are some things you can talk about that maybe aren't as helpful, and we're not going to talk about those. They're fun if you're into that geeky kind of thing. To geek out over, yeah. Yeah. But hopefully I, I, we've chosen a couple things to discuss that uh, aren't 
unhelpful. It could be useful. Could so, be useful. To begin, Philip, just kind of introduce one. What would you say your mind immediately registers when you say God? In other words, whether capital G or lower G God, what do you put in the category of the title, the noun yeah. God? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, well... Maybe you personally, before being prompted with the... With this question? Yes. Okay, well, I mean, we've kind of already touched on it, but just literally based on my cultural biases um, and my faith and my understanding of what I mean when I say God, I mean the God of the Bible, the the God of the um, ancient Hebrew texts, um, the creator of the universe... The um, Father, Son, Spirit, Triune, mm-hmm. Three-in-One God, who sent His Son to die on the cross to atone for the sins of mankind. Um, that's that, what that, that's what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, so. so shift that now. Yeah. You see, in quotes, lowercase g God. False God. You th- Yep. Imm- that, and that's what we're taught. Right, right. And, and like, we immediately say, oh, little g God means... Not God. Not a God. <laughs> we, it's so confusing. Because it's the same. Wait a minute. It's God, but it's not a God. But we call it God. We call it a God, but not the God. Yeah, it's like the same word, which is why sometimes we need to be very specific when we say God. Exactly. Because if it's confusing for us, it's three bajillion times more confusing for someone who's not steeped in uh, Christian tradition. In culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and that is a very, it's a helpful teaching that you and I have grown up on to see little g God. And our mind systematically immediately goes, Bad. this is referring to not even a real thing, just an idol or idol, something. Yeah. yeah, I think we we interject that there. But um, I might suggest that there is a little bit more going on as far as the narrative of the Bible is concerned. Yeah, so it's different for an ancient Hebrew, the, this concept of God. Yeah. Um, First of all, because they have they have names for yeah. who they're referring to, and they call him by name, right. and the name isn't God. I mean, it's right. it's it's uh, Yahweh and Elohim and uh, Adonai and all these all these things. Sure, yeah. And so, when they would reference who they worship, everybody else would know who they're talking about. Yeah, uh, because they have names, mm-hmm. and uh, and they can and they point to their history. They point to. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, who their God is, what He's done, and they sing songs about what He's done, and everything they do, really, when they talk about uh, their God, gives testament to who He is and what He has done, Right. and typically doesn't make assumptions about, um, well, everybody else knows and worships the same God that I do. Right. Matter of fact, they were pretty marginalized, or they were, they were pretty, um, really the only people on the earth who, who <coughs> had... Um, these names for mm-hmm. for the one true God. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a thing worth studying into if you're interested in this kind of thing. Um, you know, you you named a couple of you know Hebrew phrases that typically get, typically get tied to our God. Um, one of them that you said was Elohim. Now, here's what's interesting about the word Elohim. That word, first of all, is plural. The singular word for that is either Eloa or El. Here's what's interesting. That word Elohim is what you read in your English translation when you see the word God, and not just big G God. When you come across any time in the biblical narrative of you know <clears throat> anybody referencing the gods that the pagans are worshiping, Baal, anybody, that's the word you see is Elohim, El, uh, Eloah. Like these are these are f- words that aren't just used in describing our God, which kind of opens up this can of worms of, okay, hold on, wait a minute, what's going on here? Is Elohim a word for our God or all the gods? And yes. Both. Yeah, it's both. And, And I think this challenges us a little bit to see that when we say we believe in one true God, there might be a little bit of an asterisk there, um, because... We're, we're saying, in essence, that there is one supreme God that we owe our allegiance to, and an Israelite would agree with that. But it definitely seems that when you start looking at what's going on and the spiritual like nature of all the craziness that goes down throughout the Old Testament, 
it definitely seems like there's credence giving to there are there's some sort of spiritual reality at work outside of just the one true God. Now, you and I, Philip, we typically immediately go, oh yeah, well, the angels and demons, yeah, and, yeah. and spiritual realms, <laughs> spiritual beings, um, yeah, because 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 we've read about it in Scripture, right, 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 which they didn't have exactly. At the time. Here's what's you and I would you say kind of you pro, you you put like God this word God mm-hmm. in a category and then there's a completely different category where we put the words angel and demon right right and I and I get that and I don't think that's necessarily wrong but what I think the if you get into the Hebrew of what's going on in the Old Testament not to change what we believe about angels and demons, right? But they like the idea is they are Elohim. It's as if to say so. It's as if to translate Elohim as God-ish. Yeah, spiritual beings. God-ish. Yeah, God- God-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, of of the being a realm of God. Right. So, yeah. yeah, and and it doesn't it doesn't take us long to read you know Genesis and see that that while mankind is rebelling against God. There's also this spiritual rebellion that seems to be going on, right. and uh, for you know, if this is wigging anybody out, like immediately, I just let me point you just to a couple of ideas, verses of this. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter ten, um, when Moses is addressing the nation of Israel, he, he says this: He says, "Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven and the heaven of heavens, and the earth with all that is in it." Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. So therefore, circumcise your heart and no longer be stubborn. Now here's, here's what's interesting. For the Lord your God is God of all gods and Lord of all lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. That's great. A good descriptor, God of all Incredible. gods. Incredible, yeah. Because it's acknowledging that there are other spiritual there beings. There are other Elohim. But this spiritual being is the Mac Daddy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the leader and the ruler of all other spiritual beings. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to put it in, like, in Hebrew, he's saying God is the Elohim of all Elohim. Yeah. The, the, the Mac Daddy spirit. The Mac Daddy. Elohim of Elohim. Yeah, and you know that doesn't change a whole lot about how we process, I guess, angels and demons. But it does help us and remind us that for a lot of us, we come from backgrounds that really shy away from even addressing and talking about the spiritual realm of the Bible. Yeah, and I think it's you know it it, it can go in directions that are unhelpful, as we've already talked about. Yeah, you know, like if you fixate on that, and, right. and that drives your entire. Um, Way of if if your fixation with that determines how you read the Bible and interpret the Bible, then, right? Then you're kind of making up things where things don't belong. Yeah, you know? yeah, so. absolutely. Um, but this, I mean, you know, the passage when Paul's talking, um, this it lines up perfectly. Whenever you start to think in these ideas, then when Paul says, "We wrestle not against mm-hmm. flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of darkness," right? This idea that there are Elohim that are in rebellion yeah. and that are trying to be God in the sense of they're trying to win our affection and take it away from the Elohim of all Elohim. Now this is uncomfortable, like, um, but the claim of the Bible is still clear and it's the same that we follow the supreme Elohim of all Elohim. So why is this important? So this makes it a lot more real for us today, like we were just saying, when it comes to recognizing spiritual warfare, to say that um, there are things, there are, as you said, Philip, godish things right. trying to win our affection. How do you see this playing out today? Where do you see the presence of, to, to put it kind of in the words we've been using, rebellious Elohim um, or spiritual forces at work today? Yeah, uh, people people and churches and, and organizations that will fly a banner of Christianity or fly a banner claiming to be operating 
under the direction of the Elohim of all Elohims, or the God of all gods, while propagating um, ideals that don't line up with that. Right. So, really, I mean, unbiblical things yeah. under a biblical banner. Yeah, and that's, you know, when we talk, when you read Peter, and he says that uh, to be ready because the spirit of the Antichrist has already gone out among you. Yeah. Like, that's what he's talking about. Like, Peter, 2,000 years ago, says the spirit of the Antichrist has gone out. Deceivers. Yeah, the yeah. De- this deception. How else, though, kind of maybe outside of the Bible Belt, do you see the places where we just need to recognize and wake up to the fact that there are, there are spiritual forces at, at work? work? Yeah, um, well, we've even said about this pervasive philosophy of uh, seek your own truth, find your own truth, that really permeates uh, not just American culture today, but but throughout the world, and that's another that's another can of worms as well, it, with this idea of the world is being becoming smaller and smaller because of technology. Right. We can we can speak to someone across the world more quick, quickly than we ever have been able to. So the world is beginning to kind of look like itself culturally, like cultures that have technology are beginning to take on. Um, each other's identities a little bit, right? But, but that's one way that um, spiritual forces, other than um, from the one true God, are at work in convincing people that um, they can choose their own truth, right? Rather than there being an absolute truth. Absolutely, <laughs> that got me. I didn't mean you're to do doing that. it again. I man. didn't. I, that one wasn't on purpose. Uh, okay, so kind of a little bit back to your experience with um, getting to speak with someone of the Hindu faith, yeah. how does this change, not not necessarily specifically to that situation, but just with that in mind, how does this change evangelism, um, sharing what we believe with people um, that are outside of the Bible Belt? Because the culture of the Bible Belt, we're taught, like as a general principle, there is one God. You can assume you are that. Mon- yes, you can assume that. You are a monotheistic Christian and... Right. Even if you look up, you know, Webster's Dictionary, the, the definition to that in modern society is to say there is only one spiritual being, one God. Right. With understanding this uh, and allowing the Bible to remind us of what's going on throughout the whole story, how does that change maybe how you approach a person that worships something different than you? Yeah. From coming from a, there's only one God and I follow him and you don't. Right, right. What, is, what changes when you say, okay, I follow the God of all gods who created all things, but the biblical authors aren't shying away from this reality that there are forces at work. And there are many gods. And there are many gods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of the tactic in the Bible Belt is to begin a conversation with someone and say, do you believe in God? You know... And there's all these assumptions that they understand what God you're talking about, and so they'll either say yes or no, and depending on that answer, you can go on to share the gospel with them and, and, and tell them who God is <coughs> and why they need Him. For people that um, who already worship gods or a god, um, it changes in that when when you encounter someone like that, you need to acknowledge that they are worshiping a god and not try to convince them that there is only one god and theirs isn't real because right. to them theirs is so real like Absolutely. They, they, and, and they and it is like this little g god is real right because they're worshiping it right this little g god is not supreme not so the, the, the whole direction that you have to go now with someone who is not from the Bible Belt and who is worshiping another God who is not the supreme God right. is you have to show them the supreme God, mm. not convince them that that is the only God and that there is, it doesn't exist, but show them that even in this world of um, millions of gods that people worship, right. there is one ruler of all of them, and he is the only one to be worshiped. Right. And, and and kind of reveal why that's important for them. And that cha- man does does that not what you just said? It's not the normal tactic that is, for us. I mean, and some people would be really uncomfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, to give credence to say that this person very well may be, might not be. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's a god for everything. 
I don't know if the Bible like lays that out. Right, but, right. But but allowing there to be a cat- category to say, hey, we worship the God of the gods. Go- the God of gods. Yeah. Meaning, there's now we don't have the specifics. Yeah. But there are other Elohim spiritual In, beings, innumerable, innumerable. Yeah. Which we don't know. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if innumerable in in the sense of like inf- infinity. Well, innumerable, and in we don't know. The we num- don't know the number. The number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and man, that just changes the reality of of how you approach a person. Just to say, um, any experience that you may have had with spirituality has all been made up in your mind and stupid. Yeah, that doesn't really work. It, I mean, because. Yeah. It's not made up, and for them, it has been lived out and practiced yeah. in reality. And in spiritual, and like this, this sounds so weird, but like in the spiritual realm, it might very well have been real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just changes things. But it, it's not the God of gods. It's not the God of gods who we're called to worship. Absolutely. Yeah. There's this one verse in the New Testament that really kind of sheds light on this idea. It's when Paul in First Corinthians chapter eight is discussing. Um, this issue that the Corinthians were having with knowing whether or not to eat certain food that was sacrificed to idols. So here's what's going on. This is verse 4 of chapter 8. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. Now, hear this. He's saying we know that this actual physical thing, this wooden plank, is not... A being. Inhabited by a spiritual being. Yeah. And then he says, and we know that there is no God but one. So for a lot of us, that goes, aha, see, what what you guys have been saying for the past 20 minutes is stupid. There's only one God. But then he goes on to say, for although there are many gods in heaven on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and there you go, seeing him putting this idea of little g gods with lordship and power and the ability to sway Influence. people's allegiances. Yeah. Yet for us, for that's where that's why this idea of one god gets misunderstood. He says, "Yet for us there is one god." Saying, "For us there's only one god that we follow. The Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things through whom we exist. It's a tongue tie. Paul Paul's a Paul's hard to read. He's a wordsmith. But there but there you go. I mean you see him dissect that. He recognizes that worshiping physical idols, there's nothing there in that physical idol. There's no power in that. But there may be a power outside of that that is I mean Paul gives gives ground for it. He says, "We know that there are many gods in the heavens and the earth that are vying for our attention." Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just to kind of shed a little bit more New Testament light on that, um, to say, like, this is how Paul is thinking, that there are godish things, spiritual beings, that are trying to be the Elohim of Elohim, but they're, right. but they're not. But even at the end of the passage you just read, again, brings it back around to this idea of the God of gods. Mm-hmm. And we know, we know who that is. So, absolutely. I see the... This idea of God just being a title, um, and that was a lot. That was that was a lot of heady, weighty, heavy stuff. And even and even with all of that, it's not we weren't definitive. No, we, we haven't gone through every little nook and cranny of, of what that can be. Yeah, so. that was the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Um, and also, just just uh, just a shout out. Um, I know probably many listeners have heard of. Uh, have encountered this. There's a great podcast that uh, has really um, helped me out in a lot of of just figuring out what the Bible really is trying to say about things that uh, a lot of what I just um, shared came from. Um, if you haven't heard of it, the Bible Project podcast has um, some episodes that uh, are a little bit more intimidating than how we just presented it. I mean, they are just hour and a half long talking about all of these deep, crazy concepts of of how an ancient Israelite viewed spiritual reality and gods and and all of that, and it's 
It's crazy. A lot deeper. It's a lot so deeper. We're, we're kind of the gateway drug here to yeah. this. <laughs> so if that's you, if you like that kind of thing, go check them out. It's great. Um, that was just, uh, just I think, th- some things that were helpful for me in my understanding of this concept of God. Now, if God is a title that we have just um, spent 20 minutes, 30 minutes discussing how it is a title that is not just attributed to the Bible Belt God, how do we know, how do we get to know, how do we follow a specific God, especially when we claim that he is intimately and personally close with us? So that's, here's the question again, Philip, just, a, just kind of opening thoughts. How do we get to know and follow a God if, there are, if God is just a title yeah. that we claim that our religious background claims is intimately and personally close with us? Okay, yeah, great. Great question, and here's a few answers. Yeah. First one, um, just objectively, is the historical narrative, the written and oral traditions, uh, what we would call the Bible, um, these ancient Hebrew texts and the Gospels and all these things that have been collected and um, affirmed and upheld through the centuries. We get to know God through that by reading. And I think... I can't. I can't wait to do an overview, overview overview theme about the Bible. It's just I'm passionate about it. But just again, reiterating that the Bible, though it does, like obviously we gain theology out of it, but it's telling, especially the Hebrew, the the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew text. It is telling a story. Yeah. And in that story, last last episode, Philip, you remember us talking about this. I asked you the question: If you say you know me. What do you base that off of? Based, based on our personal history with each other. Yeah, like yeah. how you've seen me act with you, act with other people, things right. I've done, things I've said, and that's what a story does. Yeah. And it's what we see, in, and I think a lot of us become afraid of the Old Testament because of certain things, certain issues that it maybe poses with our logical understanding of things. Right. And it can get a little weird and harder to understand because it's a thousands of thousands of year old text that's cross-culturally been translated. And we do not in any way, shape, or form match what the culture was at that time. Not at all. So. Absolutely. And 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 this isn't to scare us because we have incredible resources and teachers and pastors yeah. that are, are helping us do that and teaching us how to do it on, on our own. But that's the beauty of Scripture is that it has been passed down this long and we can still understand it right. today. Exactly. And so even though... For someone, you know, maybe you're listening and you're a skeptic, how can someone claim that they know God? Well, it, uh, you know, admittedly, it is different. The way that I know him is different than the way that I know Philip. Right. But I know Philip because I've known who he is to be in practice, what he's done, things he's, he's said, ways that he's handled situations. And that's what the Bible gives us. It is. It is a very intentional prophetic recording of the of God of the Bible. How God is operated. Of the one true God of, 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 you know, the Israeli Christian God. Yeah. So with that, we've been talking, and <laughs> you, you've said it already a couple times, but uh, again, God being a title, even Lord, we say Lord. Yeah. Lord's a title. There are lords in medieval times. Yeah. You know, everybody was a lord. My lord. My lord. Yeah. But God has a name. And now there's been, you know, lots of us have probably gone through youth group studies of all the, all the names of God. Um, well, Je- Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, these things. All these things, yeah. right, 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 yeah. Um, Jehovah, that's the word kind of to hold on to for just a second. Yeah. Now, Jehovah, fun fact, just again, get a little geeky with you. Jehovah is actually the word we get in English after we transliterate a German word that was transliterated from Hebrew. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> so in other words, there's a Hebrew word to get that the first, um, kind of one of the newer translations that first happened around the time of the Reformation was translated into Germany, into German, and then that word is then translated into English as Jehovah. And so you hear people refer to God as Jehovah. Now, you've also heard the word Yahweh. 
Yahweh is not even a real word. It's we don't just, even know. We don't know how it's pronounced. I know, but the, and that's that is Ex- explain that though, so yeah. we're not confusing anybody. So Yahweh and Jehovah, you trace them both back. That's the we get that from the same Hebrew word. So if you if you're you know reading your Bible and you're you know you're coming across in the Old Testament, when you see in all caps in English the word Lord, and and it's only in the Old Testament, but when you come across the word Lord and it is in all caps, that is. Our English uh, translation, transliteration, I think. Yes. Is what, yeah. Well, transliteration. It's also it's it's the publishers and the the translations' choice to do it this way. Now, John John MacArthur and the uh, his new Bible coming out is is not going to do this. They're going to put Yahweh. They're going to put Yahweh. Yeah. yeah. So that's ex- so when you see the word L O R D, that is the as best we can gather from thousands of years of difference because the Hebrew language only has consonants; they don't have vowels. That's where we get the word Yahweh, and that's where the Germans got the word Jehovah. Like it's the same, it's the same word, and it is the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. It says when G, when um, Moses asked, "Hey, if someone comes up to me and asks, who is the God that's sending me?" He says, "He says I am." But that 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 word I am in Hebrew comes across as Yahweh. And it's so interesting that Moses thought to even ask that question because even he realized that the Egyptians had many gods. Oh yeah, and so uh, it was on his, it was on Moses's radar to to say, uh, well, in light of these many gods that are worshipped in Egyptian culture, what is your calling card? Mm-hmm. Who do I need to say I'm rep- I'm, I'm coming Here's my name. after? And there you go. He I says, am. "I am who I am. I am the." One who has always been. Yeah, the God of gods. The God of gods, the Elohim of Elohim. Praise the Lord. Amen. Man, praise, that's, praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, absolutely. And so with that, we have now a name to give God. And then as you as you read through your Old Testament, continuing to latch onto this idea of, of, a, per, of a being with a history, that's why you start to see um, people refer to the God of the Bible, you know, you start reading later on as the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, this is the Elohim, since there are many, this is the God that has had personal interactions with these guys and who has made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And it's a callback to the history and tradition, mm-hmm. so that because of these because these things have happened and because they've been recorded in written communication, and now, now we can reference this God right. based on his past and based on our past with him. Right. And so. we and we build we're able to build a character right. of whom we follow and are able to worship in, in, in spirit and in truth. Um, and with those you see things that God has said, things that he's done, promises that he's made. And that is that is a huge one that ultimately leads to Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. And that's how we get to know um, God. Now there's another way that we get to know the personal God of the the Bible. And uh, it is through the person who fulfilled the promises that the Elohim of Elohim promised, mm. and that is the God-Man, who who walked with us, who came and to, to dwell with who, us, who ate meals with us, and camped with us, and mm. walked around, talked to us, and and, and listened to us. And man, if man. I if I could have been there, oh, isn't that awesome? But it's okay because we we've got we know. That it happened, and we know that he came, and we can read about it. And what's what's wonderful, what's and this is this is another kind of way that we know God that is so supernatural, even apart from reading on these pages, is that all the things that we read about, we can experience now. Yep. Like we have true relationship with this God we're talking about now, mm. and it's not just a distant. Um, past, or it's right. not just a distant tradition that we can read about and, and appreciate, but it's something we can live right now, right? Uh, and that's amazing. It's, it is. It really is. And um, I could go on and on discussing certain things that our Old Testament gives us that shows us who God is, but I think I'll leave that for whenever we start to tackle the Bible and talk about what it is and what it isn't. Um, but I think it's just so helpful just to have this talk to say, hey, 
knowing the God of the Bible means knowing who he is, what he has said, what he has done, and really meditating on those things and allowing that to, to guide our thoughts as we interact with him in the world. Reveal the distance between We always want to make the things we talk about on here as applicable as we can. So with everything in mind, which has been a lot, that we've discussed today, Philip, from worshiping our own God, that we've projected, understanding that the word and concept God might mean different things to different people, understanding that little g-gods, Elohim, are out there, and seeing the biblical expectation of what it means to know the one true Elohim of all Elohim. With all of that in mind, what are some concise, just little nuggets of wisdom that, uh, as we kind of conclude for today, that you would offer that, first of all, might help the Christian that is listening to worship God more in our hearts, or that might challenge to us to change the way we live out our lives? So again, question being, with the things we've said, how does this lead us to worship God differently or newly or understand new things about him that we can respond to him and worship for? Or how does this challenge us to change the way that we live our lives? Well, a lot of what we've talked about today may change the way that we speak to God mm-hmm. and the way that we interact with him and, and in a good way, hopefully for the better, to where now we will, um, when we commune with God and spend time with him, because he is personal, he is relational, um, we can address him on a different level now, saying like, God, I I know that you are the God of gods. I know that you reign supreme over spiritual and physical things, and I worship you. Mm. I'm saying that I'm claiming you as this ruler, as the one who is to be worshipped and praised, and so now I want to pour out my worship and praise to you. Absolutely. And to nothing else. So, okay, now shift the question, Similar, kind of similar idea. What would you offer to maybe a non-believer or a skeptic, maybe a Christian, not sure where, uh, you know, maybe where they land, or that someone has been hurt by the church that we see in cultural Christianity? What would you offer to them, um, just kind of boiled down to a thought that uh, might be listening to this podcast today? I would say that I hope... For the non-believer, for the for the skeptic, for the person that's been hurt, that you'll be able to hear what we're saying and understand that we're not um, invalidating anyone's experience spiritually. Um, but but hear me out. We're not we're not affirming the worship of false gods. We're not affirming the worship of anything that is other than the God of gods. But what, I, what we are saying is that we don't deny that your experience uh, in worshiping another god is not real. We, we, we know that you may be worshiping another god, but what we are saying is that we want you to seek out the god of gods, the one true god uh, who rules over all things. Seek him out and worship him. Amen. I guess for me, what I'd offer to the believer who's listening is um, to be able to look at all of this information and say, hey, uh, this humbles me a little bit. Um, the, no, the I think one of the calling cards or just the way that cultural Christianity comes across is I've got it figured out. This is how it is. It's how it's always been. And um, uh, there's no need for me to grow. And if there's anything that even me with my notes talking about the concept of ancient Near Eastern Elohim, the concept of gods, if there's anything that I take away from that is I don't know anything. <laughs> there, yeah, there's so much that we don't know. And that's true of the that is true of the sharpest biblical scholar on the planet. Right. The the things that he knows are, are just not even not even close to the depth and breadth of the reality and and nature of God. Right. And that's why, and so just to continue that thought, that's why the the writer of Ecclesiastes ends his book with saying, the study of much books 
and the, and seeking out wisdom leads to weary bones. It tires the body. It tires the soul. Because we can't learn it all. No. And our, our, if, if that's our pursuit, then we'll drive ourselves into the ground right. trying to gain all of it. However, the end of all things is that we worship God and follow Him. Mm. And in order for us to do that, we do have the spiritual responsibility to always be asking more of who is this God? What has he said? What has he said over my life that I need to be living out? And that requires a spirit of humility to say that I maybe don't know everything. And so I'm going to seek out wisdom, but not for the sake of just seeking out wisdom. I'm not going to just seek out knowledge for the sake of seeking out knowledge. If I'm going to learn something, if I'm going to study my Bible more, it is so that I know his character more. It's so I know what he has deemed the right way for me to live and that I can worship him obediently as I live out that life. That's what I would offer to the, the believer listening. And what you're saying is knowing him better should lead you to love him better. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's, like we said, there's the ability to worship him falsely. like. Yeah to believe something untrue about him. And so, man, I never want that to happen. And I always want to have a spirit of, man, am I worshiping God with a false understanding of who he is? Lord, please teach me today if I am. Um, and then the and then the something that I would say maybe to the skeptic listening or the non-believer is kind of on on in line with what Philip said is, man, we, we if we've come across arrogant the biblical, uh, the Bible Belt culture has kind of painted this arrogant, uh, overly pious, um, almost, <laughs> I use this word uh, scholarly, stupid, um, when it comes to this idea of God, uh, we're sorry. Mm. and um, But we do fully believe that the book that we have, the Bible, is the book that God wants us to have, and it reveals who he is, and he is the God of all gods and is seeking or ha- is seeking your worship for him. He wants, um, he wants your obedience, and not just out of a sense of, I'm a big bad God and you need to bow down to me, because he loves you. He, he, he loves the world, and he proved it by sending his son. So if that is maybe a different light of who the God of the Bible is, um, please don't let this be just a fleeting moment of consideration. Chase after that thought. Continue to seek him out, the truth of who God is. Amen. More than I've ever seen. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for joining in with us. We said last week that this is a journey and a mission that we're going on together, and so we want you to be a part of the conversation. Here's how you can do that. First of all, you can keep the conversation going. If you know anyone who might benefit from the conversations we're having here, share us with that person. But we also want you to have the conversation as well. Take these things that we talk about, and you go out into the community and have these conversations. Secondly, if you have any comments, questions, words of encouragement, or snide remarks, please reach out to us at our email, rtbbpod at gmail.com. That's rtbbpod at gmail.com. If you have any questions regarding the things that we've discussed here on any of the episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Record a 30-second audio clip stating your name, where you're from, and what your question is, and send it in to us. We'd love to feature you on one of our question and answer sessions that will be coming up on the show very soon. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. I want